Welcome back, or if it's your first time, I'm glad to have you here. I'm Matt Fendora, and you're tuned in to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, where we journey together toward becoming the best version of ourselves. Using mind, body, heart, and spirit as the anchors of our podcast, join me as we set sail into the depths of self-discovery, unraveling the interconnected layers that shape our growth. If you resonate with today's conversation, consider subscribing to the podcast. Your support means the world to us and ensures you never miss an empowering episode. Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Choose to Live, Love and Grow podcast. The podcast all about being the best version of yourself through mind, body, heart and spirit. Today I am joined by Kate Callahan or as most people know her, Kate and Michelle. Kate is a previous Division I athlete with dual masters in exercise science and clinical psychology who has a mission to bridge the gap between psychology and physiology to help you unlock permanent change. Some of Kate's proudest accomplishments include living her Division I dream, earning her master's degree, being both a speaker and a podcaster, being the CEO and head coach at Level Up, and pursuing her second master's degree. What makes Kate's heart sing? understanding and helping people get out of their own way. Without further ado, here's Kate. How are you doing today, Kate? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Super excited for this one. The last time we talked, like you have such an incredible journey and I've been listening to a lot of your content too since uh, I don't even know, a couple months now. And there's so many different avenues that you talk and what I love about the content that you share is you can feel the passion that you have with everything that you do, which is why I'm super excited today. Thank you so much. It's an interesting thing because it's it's so unconventional as far as like when you pick a platform, you pick a niche and that's all you talk about. And I am just so multi-passionate. Like I want women to know or men to know as well that you don't have to try to box yourself into something. Like you are unique as you are because of the interests or proclivities that you have or curiosities that lead you down different paths. So, you know, a lot of people don't think psychology and fitness go hand in hand, but I beg to differ. So. Yeah. And I mean, in a way that's a niche on its own is you're helping people find, you know, like you said, you're what makes your heart sing is understanding, helping, helping people get out of their own way. There's not just one way, as you like to say, it's not black and white, there's a spectrum. And so mm -hmm. there's so many different ways that you can go about improving your life. Absolutely. Yeah, that's 100% true. So one of my first questions is, what was your journey like to live out that dream of being a division one athlete? Yeah, um, this is going to be interesting. So I wish that there was actually more people that would talk about what it's like to live your life on the fringe. Because I, I've worked with a lot of athletes, and I mean high level athletes. I don't mean like you play to sports in high school, and like I'm not shitting on that. But if you've built your life and your identity around something, and it doesn't work out, that's one of the hardest things I've ever been through. That's one of the hardest things my brother went through. My sister went through the same thing. Very close friends that I had, athletes that I competed with. And nobody tells you how to how to cope with that. Nobody tells you how to work through that. Nobody teaches you to find yourself or to know yourself before you kind of build a life around something that you do. It's heartbreaking, especially if you you have this vision and you're so convicted upon it. Right? Like for me, I grew up in a small town, Vermont. Nobody where I was from was going on and playing division one basketball or even leaving the state. That's just not what was common. So when I took time off and I worked out with an NBA skills trainer and I worked with some of the best athletes in the country and in the world, I then walked on to a division one institution and 
made took a starting position within you know a few a few months but the leading up period to that and this is the part that i want to emphasize for people is every single day i had no idea what was going to happen i had no idea if i was going to make it i was working at dave and buster's i slept on an air mattress i had nothing i had absolutely nothing i know what it's like to not have shit in your life and that's where if you want to grow into something if you have something that's calling you like even if you don't have it all figured out, guess what? We'll never have it all figured out. I don't have it figured out now. I'm 30 years old. I have, I still don't have any idea 99% of the time what the fuck I'm doing. I just allow my curiosities, my proclivities, my passions, right? Things that light me up to lead me somewhere. And it's been an adventure. Because at the end of the day, when you look back on your life, who cares what anybody else thinks? You'll die and nobody will remember you. And so for me, it's just... Whenever I feel fearful, I remind myself I can be terrified and still do it. I can be scared and still do it, right? Feelings and emotions are fleeting. That's why continuing to try to chase this permanent idea of happiness is just unrealistic. You'll be disappointed because you feel happiness and you should, and I hope everybody does, but happiness is not a permanent state of being. And so when you build your life trying to chase happiness all the time, you're going to be disappointed in that. But it's having an alignment with a vision that you have so much conviction over, not because of the outcome. We can't control that. I had no idea if I was going to make it. I, I had none. I'm five foot four. Okay. I'm from Vermont. And I just, you know, I didn't grow up in a very super competitive, highly athletic place. I was just to stand out a big fish in a small pond, if you will. But for me, it was, I want to figure out all that it is that I can be. I want to figure out how far I can take this. And the only way that I'm going to find out if I really try and I don't mean like I'm kind of interested if the opportunity comes I'll do it like I'm going to push this full gas and see how far this takes me regardless of how uncertain or how terrified I might be putting myself into that position and when you live your life that way at least for me of course it's not always easy you have to have a high tolerance for pain and and suffering but when I think about my life and I think about the things that I pursue or the things that I'm interested in or the things that I want to achieve or aspire to be able to experience, I know that pain and suffering is inevitable just because we're human. And so I would rather choose the pain and suffering that I experience in my life than have pain and, and suffering thrust upon me just through by being passive in my day to day, not consciously choosing what I'm doing or what I'm working on or how I'm growing and in the direction in which I want to grow. So I think for a lot of people, they're terrified to step outside of their comfort zone. But if your comfort zone is causing you distress, could it really be so bad if you stepped outside of that for a moment? And so that's a lot of my life philosophy. But people that might listen to this or be inspired by it, I promise you, anybody that's achieved anything has eaten shit in a lot of it. And it's knowing that if you are somewhere where you're online and you just compare yourself to people that only show you once they make it, you miss the parts that they don't talk about. Mm -hmm. The insecurity, the suffering, the hardships, the pain, the insecurity, the, just the unknown. And the, the every night you lay down, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put food in my mouth. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know if I can put gas in my tank. And until I wish more people would just transparently talk about that because people glorify all of these different accolades or achievements or status, right? And I think that most people get lost in trying to achieve something so that they can validate the fact that they're worthy, but you've been worthy the whole time. And that was one of the hardest parts of my own journey was recognizing that I just wouldn't let myself be, right? That's the whole getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. It's like you cause yourself more pain between the years 
than any additional external insult could ever cause you. At least that's my my experience. I am the hardest person for me to get approval of, point blank, period. But knowing that, I also have really high standards for myself because I know what I'm capable of doing. And so settling for mediocrity is not something that I'm comfortable with in my life, which means for me, this is not what I'm saying. Anybody listening to this should design their life around. You need to know yourself before you set out to do different things because you have to know what you're willing to sacrifice, what you're comfortable with, what things you can let go of, what parts of you you're willing to let go of, what fears you're willing to live through. You have to know yourself so well before you discern that that's the right direction for you to travel. Because like I said, there's pain and suffering. Expect hard. But I think it's just allowing my intuition to guide me and stop stop feeling like I had to make things harder than they needed to be in order for me to be able to feel validated in achieving the things that I had. Because when you're taught that you are just a number or you're here just to contribute and your worth comes from what you contribute, that's that's a mind fuck in itself. That was my whole life. That was everything. And I still have moments that are like that and I have to recognize them. But my value didn't come from the things that I achieved. They come from all of the dynamics that build up who I am, which is not just how I look. It's not just my degrees. It's not just my intellect. It's not just my IQ. It's the things that make me funny. It's the, as Jordan Sayo would say, like the caramel nougat soft parts of me that I still don't have a ton of confidence presenting to the world, right? And so there's lots of reasons why people behave the way that they do, but that's why I'm so passionate about people understanding themselves. Not because you should chase what you think you're supposed to chase or work a job that you think you're supposed to work or climb a corporate ladder because then you'll be good enough. You'll be successful enough, thin enough, pretty enough, wealthy enough. You can add enoughs onto anything. But what you'll recognize if you walk that path, which many people will, they'll have to, because you can tell people like parents tell their kids, right? That's not good for you. Mm -hmm. And then they'll do it and they'll be like, Fuck, you were right. So some of you will have to walk down that path just to recognize that it didn't change anything for you. Nothing about you is fundamentally changed. You might look different. You might wear different clothes. You might have more material items, but you as a being haven't changed. And until you do change, Right, that's where you can actually unlock the best parts of you and have the confidence to allow people to see that because that's your competitive badge. That's your superpower. It's not being an iteration or a curated version of yourself that matches what somebody else is already doing. It's having enough conviction and self-respect to know that everything that you need to be, you already are. Mm -hmm. So I know that was a lot, but I would say that's that's a good background. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot. Um, and not exactly the the direction I thought you were going to take it, but still a lot of, you know, valuable information. So a couple different questions there. When you said that you felt that you were on the fringe where you mm -hmm. didn't know if you were going to make it day to day, how did you cope with that? I think when you have nothing to lose, you are in the best position, honestly. Mm. Like it was, it was one of those things, like, how did I cope with it? It was hard, but it was like, I'm not going to give up now. I'm already here. Like when you commit to something, this is the difference between interest and commitment. Interested people, when it gets hard, they'll give up. They'll be like, oh, that was too hard. That was harder than I expected it to be. So I'm just going to not, I'm just going to not do that. But when you commit to something and I, I moved, I mean, I got in my car. I think I had $250 to my name. I used that for gas to get down there. I had a friend who let me stay in their one bedroom studio apartment until I could get a place that I could call my own. But it wasn't, it was the fact that I put myself into an environment that was full of pressure that I had to see where my glass ceilings were and then have the courage to push past them, right? Because quitting would have been the easy part. Most people quit before they succeed. 
they, everybody can have whatever it is that you want in life as long as you are willing to pay the price required for you to get it. And so the way that I coped with it was which, which part of this path will I be proud of? Will I be proud of myself internally because I fought for as long as I could and it just didn't work out because I wasn't good enough? Or will I be proud of myself for giving up when it was hard? And so just asking myself that question, which, which type of person do I want to be? I'm going to go with the former. Mm -hmm. One other thing you mentioned was not equating your worth to your impact or your achievements that you're making. And then you said that's something that you still struggle with today. So mm -hmm. how do you cope with that? When you, when you get those feelings of this is relating your work to your achievements, how do you get out of that mindset? So I think this is probably for anybody that has either has a business or provides a service. You're a helper inherently. This is very much a, a feminine trait, right? It's your empathy. It's your compassion. And when you build a life around your empathy and compassion, and you are a helper, you are a servant, you care about contributing and you care about helping people, you can't save everybody. And the first time that you notice that, it, it fucking stings. I want it for you so fucking bad that you don't want it for yourself, right? And then you try to pull people up. But when you do that, as you're growing, if you've got dead weight holding onto you, it just keeps you there or pulls you back down. And so the hardest thing for me, majority of the time when it comes to that is, is letting go because my personal path, Kate's path, is not a reflection of this interaction, right? I'm still going here. If you don't want to go here with me, that's your choice. And I need to respect that, right? As a coach, as a leader, as somebody that cares about people finding their own way through life, it's not my bias that matters. It's what feels best for them. And over time, especially taking the time after losing basketball, that was the rock bottom of my life. And after that, I, I remember sitting on a couch with my mom and I was in a straight leg brace. It was right after surgery. I remember sitting there and looking at her and I was like, I don't know who the fuck I am, but I know I don't like where I am. And I was like, that's my life's mission. I need to figure out what makes me tick, what makes me excited where am i passionate about what am i curious about yeah i hadn't done anything other than i was really book smart in school i was really good at biochem so i naturally went down a science path but mm -hmm. outside of that I, it wasn't like i had other interests i would train as much as i could train and compete as often as i could compete and that was my life growing up and so when you lose all that time and you just have space the silence is fucking loud and so I had to figure out who I was. I had to get to know me. I had to spend time with me. I had to be curious and go out and experience new things and figure out what I liked and what I didn't like and have the courage to change my mind when I decided that I was going to do something and tried it. And I was like, eh, that's not, that's not for me. And so just spending the time and also having the courage to try new things, suck at them, right? Learn from them about the experience that I enjoy that regardless of how well I did, but starting to look at how do I feel? What are the things that light me up? And knowing myself well enough to know that the things that I do don't make me more or less valuable as a person, regardless of whether my business continues to climb or if it were to just stagnate or if I were to decide I was done with it. The people that love me are still going to be here. Right? The people that collect my services, maybe not. They'll go a different direction and I wish them the best if that were to ever happen. But I, my worth doesn't increase or decrease based on what's in my bank account or how many clients I serve, or how many things I'm actively doing. Those are things I'm doing because I want to do them, not because I have to do them, and not because I want somebody to validate the decision I'm making to do them. And so it's creating a separation to honor yourself. You are not what you do. 
That's like saying if you have a kid who gets a bad grade on a test that he's stupid. He's not stupid, right? He made a mistake. His behavior was bad. He didn't study. We can troubleshoot this. But a person is not their behavior. Mm -hmm. And people really struggle separating those two things, mm -hmm. right? That two things can be true. You can be a and I could think you're a terrible person. You could also produce something absolutely extraordinary that is life-changing for a million people. Mm -hmm. You like that could be true. And so it's understanding that I can be Kate as Kate on her own, doing what she wants to do. And I can also be entrepreneur Kate and I can be academic Kate and I can be, you know, relationship coach Kate. And I can be all the things that I want to be because I enjoy being that version of me. But the moment that I do something, and I promised myself this a long time ago, the moment that I'm doing something and I lose passion doing it, I will be done with it. One, it's not good for me to feel like I have to force myself to do something. I'm not going to do it well. I can tell you that. And two, it's not fair to my audience or the people that listen to me. Why am I going to lecture you on something that I don't give a fuck about? Mm -hmm. You're not getting the best of me. And I'm also not serving you to the best of my capabilities. I'm just doing it because I feel obligated to do it. And so having a line of self-respect and knowing yourself well enough to go, this is me. This is the stuff that I care about. Something bad might have happened during my day, but that doesn't define me as a person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make me any better or worse relative to the context of what's happening in my environment. Because you also have to recognize that life, just like emotions, just like happiness, it's not always high, right? The high moments will come. Mm -hmm. And so will the lows, predictably, every mm -hmm. single year. Over time, it's never going to be less stressful. It's never going to be a perfect time. Ready is a lie, right? All of those things that you tell yourself to justify not doing are you just sabotaging you from getting you where to where you want to be and wasting the most important resource that you have, which is your time. And so I try to cut that out, right? If I know myself and I know what I want to do, I just, okay, yep, it feels right. I'm terrified. We can push terror to the side for a moment. Is that what you want to do? Take the leap, learn, grow challenge yourself, push past your current ceilings, push past your current knowledge base, push past your current skill set, do those things. And so just to circle back to the original question, like how do I let that go? I just recognize that what I do is not a reflection of who I am. It's a part of it. It's an extension, but it's not me, myself, and my identity. Yeah. I think um, the test question was uh, the example I was thinking is if you fail your test, that moment doesn't define you. It can be a moment that trajects you into a defining moment. Maybe you, it helps mm -hmm. you realize, hey, I probably should have studied more. Or you get that feeling of, man, I know I'm, I'm so much better than this. And it helps you uh, be resilient in that aspect and be like, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to ace this next test. And that is going to be my defining moment. Not the F that I got, but the, that bounce back effect and that process that I did that with. And I think this is where like, I would just challenge that a little bit. I don't think that's wrong, by the way. But I think it's it's really, I don't think people should define themselves based on outcomes. Right. Right. So I got an A, that's a defining moment. I wouldn't say that's a defining moment for mm -hmm. you. I, I can say what that taught you is that you're resilient enough and that can define you. That character trait can define you. I'm resilient. Yes. Right. I can be disciplined. I can be focused. I have a good work ethic, right? Those things can define you, but the outcome of what you do should never define you. Right. Right. Because that's where you will ride an emotional dumpster fire wave mm -hmm. that will totally destruct your mm -hmm. self-esteem. And that's kind of what I was getting. It was that journey aspect, not necessarily the the A, but that the bounce back uh, effect, that resilience in you. Yeah, absolutely. So how long after you got injured 
and it affected your identity because you established yourself as an athlete and that's who you knew you were. How long did it take you to bounce back and start your next adventure? I am addicted to doing. Okay. I have been working tirelessly on really channeling what people would probably recognize as like feminine energy, but it's really more of just like that carefree being state of myself, right? I've always been, I took care of my younger sister. I helped my mom growing up. I obviously was the captain on all of my teams. I started on varsity. I was always giving halftime conversations. I was a point guard running the plays, communicating with my coach. I was an extension of that. So I was always in kind of a leadership role. So when I got to a position at the rock bottom place, when you say how long did it take me to get back into it, two days after surgery, I was on crutches in the gym, right? So it was, I didn't know how to let go, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that I've struggled with a lot was learning to let go of certain things because I needed to fill that time. I remember I was snowing, shouldn't have been outside on crutches with a new, new, new surgery in the snow, probably a bad idea. I didn't fall, but um, I got to the gym and I sat on the floor with the basketball and I just cried. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know who I was. Again, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to spend my time. My parents were working, so I didn't want to sit by myself, which was me avoiding the things that I needed to deal with. Because in context to all of that, I also had just left a very abusive relationship. And so I had issues with shame. I had issues with guilt. I had a lot of trauma and like PTSD from the way that I was so reactive. Like even today, there's some things about me that have just changed fundamentally is as a consequence to those experiences. So I empathize with a lot of people, especially if you're somebody who's dealt with that. I, I get how impactful it can be. So after that, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with the shame. I don't want to deal with my frustration with myself. I really didn't like myself. I could have given two bucks if I took another breath. Didn't care. So of course, the next path for me was bodybuilding. Why? 24 hours, 24-7 job right? You have to meticulously monitor everything. It takes up a lot of your headspace to learn all that and do all that. Spend hours in the gym every day, focus on your food and like what you're eating, how much you're eating, the frequency of your meals. Like this was way back when people are still doing like five meals a day and stuff. So I, I filled that void with another athletic pursuit, right? And so that's where I got myself into a really shit position with just poor coaching protocols. I was eating like eight almonds a day for fat. I was eating less than 50 carbs a day. And I was at like 160 protein, three hours of cardio, two hours of exercise. And then I'd sit in the sauna and that was my life until I ended up in the hospital for actually weeks, like compounding on top of each other. Cause I had such bad edema. I would swell. My face would get so swollen. My eyes were in, like, it was just awful. My mom, who's a medical professional. What is edema? You said edema? Edema. Edema. Like what pitting is that? Edema. It's like excessive swelling. Okay. Yep. Um, so my mom would obviously see me like this. And so she'd be like, you need to go see a medical professional. It doesn't have to be me, but I'm concerned. So eventually she got me to go to the hospital because I had really, really low, low, low blood pressure. Resting heart rate was 32 beats per minute. I would like pass out in class. And so I was just like not, not functioning at all. Um, and so I was on a hospital bed and the doctor sat me down and said, if you don't stop what you're doing, your heart is going to stop beating. And in that moment, like, I don't think if you've never been in like a very deep depression, you probably won't understand this, but I, my affect was zero. It was like, he just told me I was going to die and I could have, I didn't care. I was like, okay, cool. Hmm. And the only thing that got me to think differently was my mom. Thank God she was there. 
because she's sitting there. My mom has beautiful green eyes and they're super bright green when she cries. And so she's sitting there. Her eyes are just like welling up, right? I could see the pain in her and I couldn't care for myself. I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't recognize myself as a person. I didn't think I had value. I had no worth. I had ruined my life. I was ashamed of my family. Like I was just this awful person in my perception of myself. And so I saw that and I looked at the doctor and I said, okay, what do I need to do? And then, you know, my mom was there for me and supported me through that. And I got my health somewhat on the right path. Um, and that was where I was like, okay, I can't keep running from myself because that's what I was doing. And if you look at patterns of my life, it's really interesting for me now to look back, but I've moved to so many different places. I've lived in so many different apartments. My bags are always packed. My clothes, I don't unpack them. I wash them and I put them in a suitcase. I've never unpacked and filled a closet in my life. I wouldn't buy furniture. I didn't even have a TV until last year because I was always on the run, but I didn't know what I was running from. And I didn't know what I was running towards. Mm -hmm. I was just always moving. And so for me to really sit with that, and try to assess, like, what am I afraid of? What am I running from? Who am I running from? Right? What am I terrified of? Why do I think that I can't settle somewhere? Why am I always active? Why am I always doing? Why am I so uncomfortable sitting with myself? And so I took the time to do that. And that was really what allowed me to find myself again, but also let go. Like I said earlier, letting go has been one of the hardest things for me. And so learning to address the actual things that I was avoiding because what you resist persists, right? And eventually it will blow up. So that was kind of my rock bottom. That's what happened. It just blew up. And so at that point, I was like, the only way out of this is going through it. Like I have to face my trauma. I have to go back through that. I have to understand how that's changed my beliefs and how that's changed my self-perception and how that's changed how I view the world, how I view myself, how I view relationships, how I view friendships, how I view commitment, how I view all these things. And so sitting down and actually spending the time with myself to do that was how I really overcame that that part of my life. At this time, were you simultaneously working on your master's degree or did that come after? So I was at home for a while until I recovered with my leg brace. And then I was home. I worked as a manager at a gym. Um, so I was a head trainer there and I was also the manager at the gym. And that's when I started coaching people in the realm of fitness. But I had coached people before that when I was playing basketball because when I'd come home, all the younger athletes wanted to work with me. Um, and I love doing it. So I did it for free all the time just because I like to. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously once I my leg was healing and I was going into that bodybuilding phase, um, that's when I went to Florida and got my master's or was working actively at getting my master's. But I had undergone that kind of rock bottom phase right before that. So do you think that rock bottom stage actually helped you persevere through your master's? Like if I can do that, I can get through anything. I would say my master's degree, my first master's, I could have done, I mean, I did great in school. I got all these, I was like in research, I loved it. But again, it was one of those things that allowed me to distract myself because I was interested and passionate about the thing I was doing. But I don't think I felt real resolution from all of those things until probably 2019, 2020. So it, it was one of those things where I would address some things. I feel like I've kind of healed or moved forward and then patterns would show up. 
So one thing is that one of the things that I think is really important for people like who are into personal development or self-growth is that it's a journey that's never ending. So it's not like I hit this point in my life where I was like, yep, I've got it all figured out. I'm done. Like I've, I've hit enlightenment, right? That's, that would be a little bit egocentric and narcissistic, I would say. But for me, it was recognizing patterns because problems that you do not learn from will continue to show up in your life. And so certain patterns in my life didn't resolve themselves, right? The biggest one being vulnerability and intimacy in relationships with men specifically. And so like those types of patterns, I was attracted to very similar people that were not good for me, highly toxic. Like, so I had to be like, why, why am I setting myself up for this? Like my gut kind of knows that this is not going to go in a positive direction, but yet I continue to feel like I can fix these people or help them or that I owe them something, or I trust them more because they'll tell me all the things that are wrong with me. And it was just really examining those things, but it wasn't like, again, going back to how did I like work through that? Or did I achieve that before that? I'd made a lot of progress, right? Mm -hmm. Forgiving myself, going through that shame, going through that guilt, looking at it objectively, getting out of my head, right? Looking at it as an objective outsider. And obviously my mom was a huge support role for me through that. But it, while I had addressed those problems, there were other underlying trauma issues, I would say, that continued to show up in my life with how I carried myself, how close I let people get to me, the things that I would talk about, the things I wouldn't ever talk about, like just different types of patterns that reminded me or at least showed me that my healing journey around specific certain arenas of my life still needed some work. And so I just have continued to practice self-awareness, always do personal growth stuff, like really focused on challenging myself always, especially as I learn more, I can go back and question things that I thought that I knew or things that I believed previously. And like I said, it's not, I don't think there's a, a deadline or a destination that you travel with it, which is why I love psychology, right? I'll always be passionate about it. And I know that about me because there's so much that we're continuing to learn just about the mind. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to get into, you finished your degree in exercise science. Mm -hmm. When did you decide to start on your second master's degree in clinical psychology? Yeah. So I, by the time I had finished my first master's, I was coaching full-time. So my mom really wanted me to go be a medical doctor. She wanted me to go to med school and I got great grades. So it's not like I couldn't have done that. I did apply, I got into school, but I was stuck at a crossroads with, do I follow my passion or do I follow security? Now, me being me, I've always followed my passions. Again, it's just the type of person that I am. I'm not saying mm -hmm. it's good or bad or right or wrong, but it's just my current makeup. And so I remember I declined going to that school. And then I decided I was going to move to Dallas and start my business here. And so I did. And I told my mom that I wasn't moving back home to go to school. And she was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, and again, my mom is the coolest human. She's a superwoman. She's the greatest human being on planet earth. I genuinely believe that I'm privileged that she's my mother. And I know where she was coming from because my mom, context of, of her background, she raised three kids by herself. She went to school for over a decade to get her doctorate. And now she's the medical director of a hospital. Mm -hmm. And so getting her education in medicine gave her security and safety in life where she could provide. Mm -hmm. So I know that she was coming from her frame of reference saying, Hey, I want you to have security. I want you to have safety. I want you to have benefits. I want you to be able to take care of yourself. This is the path for you to do that. And I love that about her. Like, I know that she wasn't saying like, I'm stupid. She was like, Hey, have you really thought about this? Cause I don't want you to struggle. I don't want you to go through the pain that I did. 
So I know that she was looking out for me, but I told her like my worst case scenario is if this doesn't work out, I just go back to medical school. My worst case scenario, yeah. right? Best case scenario, I get to build a life doing things that I love. And if I follow the path that you've built for me, I will spend the rest of my life resenting you and wondering what I what would have happened if I did that. Mm. And I don't want to resent you. So I need to walk this way. And I know you don't understand. I just ask that you support me along the way. And my mom is a huge supporter of me. So it's really just leaning into that. And of course, I didn't have anything. I was going to buy a house and do the next thing, go to, go to medical school, buy a house, get married, have babies. My life has not gone that direction at all. <laughs> um, I took everything that I had in my savings account and I put it into the business. I got an apartment that I could afford, which at the time was like a studio. Um, you know, and I just said, full send, let me see what I can do with this. Let me give it my all and commit to seeing this through. And it's paid off. I mean, I, I do what I love doing every single day, but the pivot that I had around psychology was I had tried to fit my body into a box that would make me feel like I was enough. Right. That was kind of the bodybuilding stage of my life. Like if I can be thin enough, like if I can be muscular, if I get enough external validation, like maybe I'll feel better about myself. And so it wasn't until I let go of the self-hatred. This is why I always say you cannot transform your body into somebody you love from a position of self-hatred. You can't. And there's a lot of research that shows that. I had to fix myself to find a life of freedom where I could be strong and I could be fit physically and mentally and I could have freedom from diet culture, from pressure, from trying to conform myself, to try to seek validation, from feeling worthy. I found freedom walking that path because I could address the issues that made me feel like I wasn't enough. And I could fix. I mean, I've never had issues with eating. I was more on the anorexic side, to be honest. But I never had issues with food, but I did have issues with coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And so like my cope, like I said earlier, I was always doing. I was active. I had to be creating. I had to be learning. I had to be doing. And I had to be exercising. I had to be monitoring my food. I had to be doing. I had to be doing all the time. And so for me, it was like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm just going to do, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to go do cardio. I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to go work out. I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to do this, which is why I always tell people exercise isn't therapy. It can give you endorphins. It can definitely elevate your mood. It can do a lot of positive things for people who are struggling with mental health. So I'm not saying it's not a part of the solution, but because it's a part of the solution doesn't mean it is the solution. And that's where the, the lines get tri tricky. So learning that and also obviously sharing my story, I had come up with a ton of mental models just to help my clients. None of them were based in education. None of them were based in learning. I didn't follow people. I didn't read books. I wasn't, you know, doing all of that stuff. I've still never read Tony Robbins when people say I'm like a female version, younger version of him, right? I don't know. But it was through doing that and taking notes because I have diaries for years of my life mm -hmm. that I could pull from that and go, well, this person's struggling with this. And I know that most people focus on just dietary changes or food changes or exercise changes. But what if we talk about this? And that was where I built the best relationships. I had the greatest breakthroughs and we were able to create long-term sustainable transformations, not rabbit fat loss stuff, not yo-yo dieting, but actually fixing the reasons that they were coping the way that they were with food or their emotions or alcohol, like people all cope with shit and allow them to find peace in their life and also achieve being strong, physically and mentally fit and freedom from feeling like you have to do all these fucking things to be enough. You've always been enough, but you don't believe that until you go back and fix the reasons you don't believe it. And so that was the catalyst for me to be like, I want a license. I want to be able to do this in my business full time with a 
with the credentials of I'm a licensed professional who is taught and has the education and I will probably do research um, to be able to support you in that. So now it's it's truly like allowing my passion of bridging the gap between psychology and physiology to manifest itself. And that's, I have no idea where this will take me, but mm-hmm. I'm here for the ride. So for people who have body image issues, mm-hmm. how can somebody work through that and also progress at the same time? How do they learn to, you know, have that positive image or start to love themselves, but also grow at the same time? Yeah. So there's a difference between having a transformative experience and then having a, I would say like idealistic experience, right? So affirmations, people talk about affirmations all the time, right? And why do affirmations work for some people? Well, they work because what you can do is train your brain to hyper-focus on the things that you tell it. The problem with that is if you're saying stuff that you actually don't believe, it doesn't work. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't believe you're beautiful and you sit there and go, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. And in the back of your mind, your subconscious is like, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to be able to reprogram your mind by just saying shit. Right. Which is why what I do is a little bit non-conventional. And I'm hoping to contribute to the research and the literature in the psychological realm. Because the way that I work with people is actually very different from conventional therapy. So when you're struggling with your body images, the first thing that we have to move into is a place of acceptance. Right. You don't have to love the way you look right now. I'm not going to be the person that's like, you got to hype yourself up and tell yourself you're beautiful and you're fit and you're this. Like, if you're not and you know you're not, let's not lie to ourselves. That's number one. So, lying to yourself helps nothing. But the reason that you want to change is because you know you're meant for more, not because you don't think you are. If you didn't think you are, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So, it's recognizing that to be true as well. You are capable of more and you can do better for yourself if you could just learn how to do that. And so it's not invalidating your emotions or compartmentalizing them or allowing them to be overreactive so then they impact your behavior, which is why people struggle with discipline, right? Once you can learn to see a spectrum of things and it's not black and white anymore, then you can actually start to acknowledge, yeah, I don't feel secure today, but I'm still going to do this anyways. And I don't see things moving as fast as I want to, but I know if I keep doing this, I'll get there. And you can start to see the paradigm shift of you acknowledging your shortcomings and limitations because we all have them, but also knowing that you're capable of achieving the thing that you want. And it may not, again, not being focused on the outcome, it may not turn out the way that you think that it should, but it will always turn out the way that it's meant to be if you truly commit to that process. Okay. I see. One of my next questions is based off of the time that we're in, right? We're still in the new years, but we're at this point where 43% of people are now beginning to fail in their new year's resolution. So one of the most common things that people have all relate to health and fitness, whether that's losing weight, eating better, or feeling better. So what can people do now to continue their momentum or get back on track with that new year's resolution yeah so i think first and foremost most people set really ambitious goals and i really like that i think you should dream big like go for it but the mistake that most people make is putting a timeline on it right so if i say i'm supposed to lose 20 pounds in two months and i am just overly restricting and making it difficult and not using a sustainable approach and then i have a moment where i'm like I can't keep doing this. This is exhausting. Of course you're going to quit. 
that's one of the things that I said earlier on my story was the reason that most people fail, and I mean this kindly, but you overestimate your capabilities. That's like trying to go to a college calculus class when you haven't mastered basic algebra. It's not going to end well for you. Mm -hmm. So if you can't consistently move your body, I don't even care how you move your body, but if you can't move your body every day, if you can't hit your protein, if you can't consistently control your calories, stop trying to get to accelerated fat loss phases. You're not going to do well. You're going to fail that class. Instead, focus on the behavior. What behavior do I need to improve? I need to add more protein. Okay, my focus this week is I'm going to make sure I hit my protein targets and keep it within my calorie goal. I'm going to make sure that I go for two walks a day so that I can hit 5,000 steps today. If you set your sights on the goals that are attainable and realistic for you, the side effect of that is that you will start achieving the results that you want. But if you hyper-focus on the scale and every time it doesn't drop and you expect it to because you think it should, you're going to be disappointed. And that emotion, that negative emotion of disappointment, I can never do this, I'm incapable, this is impossible, it's never going to happen, guess what happens? If you do not, if you truly don't believe you can do something, you won't do it. Now, the other side of that coin is understanding how your kind of people call it the comfort zone. I would say it's the zone of familiarity, right? How mm -hmm. that works, mm -hmm. right? And how that works is it protects you from experiencing unknown things because unknown things could compromise your safety, mm -hmm. right? We are built for survival. That's how we are evolutionarily wired. I love evolutionary psychology, by the way. Anybody who wants to read on about that, it's fascinating. Um, but we're wired for that. And so you have to know if what you're trying to do is too far outside of your comfort zone, right? It's like the the um, the stimulus that you need to adapt to is so great. The moment that you see a glimpse of it, it's going to be like, oh my God, no, go backwards, retreat, go back there. Even if it sucks, you know what's coming, keep doing that. So you also get to, if you don't believe you can do something and you say you're trying, which is why I don't like people who are interested in things, like you can be interested all you want to, but you're not going to achieve anything. If you go too far outside of that and it triggers that emotion, you will go back to what you always have known, even if it sucks. So you have to start gradually. How do I slowly step outside of my comfort zone? Okay, well, I'm really insecure about going to the gym. Okay, well, maybe you get a gym membership and you go early in the morning when no one's there and you can wear your hoodie and your sweatpants. Right? You can walk on a treadmill. You don't have to lift a weight. If you feel like super insecure about picking up weights and you've never done it or you're terrified somebody's going to stare at you or pick on you or whatever, don't pick up a weight yet. You don't have to start there. Let's go to the gym. Let's get on the treadmill. Most people are on the treadmill. You can get on the treadmill. And you can start to build your comments of nobody's looking at me. Nobody even noticed I was there. Somebody said I look awesome or they're happy to see me there. Right? Somebody was encouraging. I made a friend. That's going to re-incentivize that really positive behavior. But if we don't focus on people being honest with themselves about where you are and the distance you need to travel to get to where you want to go, you will continue to give up time and time again because you set yourself up for failure and you get to say, I knew it wouldn't work. So I think um, a couple of things you kind of reminded me of was one thing is we wait so long to reflect on our goals. We we make our New Year's resolution and then the next time we look at it is, you know, it's New Year's Eve or it's December of the year and you're like, oh, I didn't do that thing. And I think especially at the beginning, when it is the most difficult time to continue on, we have to be more reflective of what am I, what actions or intentions am I doing today that's going to get me, you know, one step closer to actually achieving that New Year's resolution. Yeah. Yeah. It's little, it's anchoring reminders, but it's also, I think one of the questions people don't ask themselves enough, people always focus on what they want to achieve. 
but we have limits. We only have so much time. We have so, only have so much energy. We only have so much mental fortitude. We only have so much willpower. We just, we're limited. So then you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to stop doing? What am I willing to let go of? What am I willing to compromise in order to get that goal? Because people get frustrated because they're trying to keep balance, which is why I don't believe in balance, right? Mm -hmm. Their work and their family and their friends and their extracurriculars and cocktail hour and all these different things. And then you want to add on something that you don't know about. You don't have the education yet. You don't have the systems. You don't have the habits in place. And you think that all that stuff is going to stay just sitting pretty on a platter. You're going to be disappointed. And when that starts to fall apart, you're going to then make the excuse that I have to do these things because I'm the one that has to fix this. Instead of learning to ask for help, set up boundaries, communicate schedules, ask your spouse for help. Like there's so many different alternative ways, but you do have to recognize that things are going to have to change in your life. And if you're not willing to do that, then of course you're not going to stay committed to what you say you want versus what you're actually willing to do the work for. Mm -hmm. One of the things that kind of reminded me of is, I don't know if you've heard of hard goals before. But it's something mm -hmm. that I've been talking a lot more on. So it's by Mark Murphy. I don't really know what his credentials are, but it's called Hard Goals because it stands for Heartfelt, Animated, Required, and Difficult. And one of the problems that people have is when they set these goals is the difficult part. You want it to be difficult, yes, but you have to find that optimal level of difficult. You can't have it so hard that you're just going to not be able to do it. But at the same time, you don't want to make it too easy where in two days you can accomplish, accomplish it or it doesn't give you that energy to keep continuing on with that progression. Yeah. And I think what's really important to say just in context of that. A lot of people will get stuck because they'll compare themselves to other people. They're seeing results really quickly. They're learning faster than I am. They're able to do this. Why can't I? What's wrong with me? So I'll tell you a story that will kind of relate to this point. When I was in graduate school, Dr. Buckner was like the hardest professor I ever had. He would ask wild questions on his exams because they weren't multi-choice. Like you read the book, you'll know the information. You just need to retain that and memorize the stuff. His was all practical application. So it would be, it was exercise science. We were doing cardiorespiratory health. And he had a question on the exam about somebody being in a room on a bicycle upside down with gravity. And we had to talk about everything that was going on mechanistically in the body that would change relative to that. Now that's hard. Okay. I, knowing me, I'm not the smartest person. Okay. I, I have a really high IQ, but I'm not somebody who's just like, I know everything about everything. I've had to work really hard, especially because I have ADHD, right? That kind of takes a toll on that. But I would go to his office every single day, every day for at least an hour. And I would bring my questions and we'd talk about it. And I'd bring my questions back and we'd talk about it. He and I went to the same gym. I would bring my book to the gym and I would sit there until he was done with his workout. And then I would ask him questions. He said I was the most annoying undergraduate student, <laughs> but he was really grateful for me because he he liked my perseverance through that. I was persistent about, I need to get this. I need to get this. I need to get an A in your class. And I ended up getting an A. But what people hyper-focus on is it's not about how fast you go. It's do you want to graduate at the top of your class? Do you want to retain the information so that you can sustain the transformation? Right? Do you want to learn the appropriate behaviors and habits and systems that work for you so that long-term, you don't have to go on another fad diet trying to lose weight as fast as possible to keep up with the Joneses, right? That's never going to lead you to a fulfilling outcome that has meaning and substance to it because you feel like you should be further along or you should be smarter than you are or you should have achieved X, Y, and Z. That's not your path. 
it's just not your path. And you have to accept that. And then you have to learn, okay, well, what things do I need to do or implement? What resources do I need to have in my life so that I can be successful for me based on myself in my life and my capabilities, my current understanding. If you can focus more on what you need to be successful, you will find success. Mm -hmm. And I think you brought up a very important point of this myth that we have of knowledge is power. It's not. Knowledge is potential power. It takes action to create that potential power into action. You can learn everything that you want, but if you don't put into action, you're just sitting still with a bunch of knowledge in your head. That's it. And this is why I always tell people you don't need more information, right? We get into a position of productive procrastination mm -hmm. where you feel like you're being productive because you're consuming so much knowledge, so much information, so much cool stuff, so much motivational things, right? You're just doing, you're consuming, you're learning. That's what you tell yourself, mm -hmm. but you're not applying any of it. Mm -hmm. You're not applying it. So it doesn't matter. This is why people, even like if you watch your own behavior as whether you're a client to somebody or you work with somebody or whatever that is, it's not because they know everything and they just lead with the things that they've learned from a book. It's because they've applied it to themselves. They've applied it to people that they've helped. There's evidence that they can do the thing for you and they have the skill set that meshes with you. They have a story. They have an example that makes you feel seen. That's why you work with them. And so it's not about what you know. You should know and you should study and you should learn. I'm huge on knowledge is power. I do think knowledge is power. But to your point, I also think that knowledge without application is absolutely meaningless. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know that if you find yourself consuming too much information because it, you know, is your feel good, I'm learning, you need to watch that as a form of self-sabotage because you can consume as much information as you want, read as many books as you want, watch as many YouTube channels as you want, follow as many influencers as you want, and nothing about your life will change. You'll just waste more time not doing the things that you actually need to be doing. Mm -hmm. So continuing on with focusing on health and uh, just living a healthier life, how do you how do we stop going on these getting on and getting off diets? How do we stay on something and continue on with it? As you called it, and get off of the yo-yo dieting. So one of the things that I've had to kind of work through personally is letting go of the idea that I'm competing with these bigger entities because I'm not going to win that battle. Right. Most people are so insecure and they experience so much pain and they want to change yesterday that when somebody's on there telling them they can lose 20 pounds in eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever the promises are, they're willing to do that. I don't want to even send that message. And I just want my message to get louder and louder and louder and louder until people are sick of hearing it and they go, you know what? I've done everything else. Let me try this on for size. And that's usually how it works. Most of the Clients that we have are repeated dieters who've tried every diet under the sun and nothing works. And so if I can continue to leave that impact and continue to echo that voice of like, there are long-term consequences to short-term stupidity, right? And if you've tried dieting, dieting over again, and you're not achieving the results that you deserve to get and keeping them, right? Then you're not succeeding. It wasn't a successful dieting phase. I don't care what anybody says. It worked last time. No, it didn't. You wouldn't be on a call with me right now if it worked. It didn't work. So it's just continuing to allow people to learn on their own because I can't control them, right? And yes, I have a lot of experience and a lot of anecdotal evidence and a lot of strategies and pathways that I know work. But at the same time, like I said earlier, some people are going to have to go through the pain and suffering of trying to force them to fit into a box until they realize that that box was not built for them.
It's actually not built for anybody if you look at the research, right? Diets don't work. And so if you can accept that to be true, then we have to look at alternative paths to success for people who are struggling with their weight. So then if you could list off, we'll say five healthy ways, what can people do now to take care of their body? So the first thing that you have to recognize is that what you resist will persist. Meaning if you try to cut out your foods, we see this all the time in research, right? If you restrict people from something, the forbidden fruit, the moment they have a taste, they overindulge significantly. Hmm. So it's the perception that you've done something bad that causes people to then self-sabotage to a greater degree. So you have to understand how you're wired. So we can't be too rigid. That's step number one. Don't try to overhaul your life. Don't download a new diet. Don't get on a meal plan. Don't start taking all these juice cleanses, smoothies, supplements, and all the... Don't do that. Go, okay. Well, if you're starting from the beginning, the first thing I would say is you should probably learn how many calories you're eating in a day. And you should track your food. You should keep a diary so you're not trying to figure out an app. If you've never used an app before, don't stress about it. Keep a notepad. Write down what you eat. Just look at it. Then you want to go, okay, I'm approximately eating 5,000 calories a day. And a thousand of those are coming from beverages. Okay. Well, what, what substitute can we make here for you? Are you willing to drink Diet Coke? Some people hate Diet Coke. So if I bring that up, they're like, no, I hate diet soda. It doesn't work for me. Okay. Well, it looks like you're drinking about a liter of Coke a day. Do you think that we could cut that in half for a day and then replace that with water or coffee? Yeah, I could do that. Okay. That's what we're doing. That's the change that we're making. And we're going to see if we can be consistent with that. And then over time, people don't drink soda anymore. People aren't drinking alcohol every weekend. People aren't binge eating on pizza. But it's the small progressive steps that you know you can take, that you're willing to take. So here's the other thing that I think coaches don't understand that I, I wish a lot of them would just pay attention to this. Me telling you what to do does not mean you're going to do it. And a lot of clients are terrified to say, that's too much for me. I'm not ready to go there yet. And they miss check-ins or they ghost you because they carry shame. Something's wrong with me. This program works for everybody else. Why is it not working for me? It's too far It's too far ahead. So one thing that we always do with clients is we have examination calls where we, we literally go through what we think that their path should look like, what we want their starting plans to be revolved around. And then we run it by them. Are these things that you're willing to do? Does that sound like it's going to work for you this week? Does that sound like something that you can do on your own? Because if the answer is no, then I've got to change something. It's not about me and what I can do. It's about them and what they can do. And so starting slow and progressively, because again, you want people to feel like they're winning because they are. But when we focus on, oh, everybody else is focused on the scale. Hey, like the scale's going to move. I need you to let go of that for a moment. I need you to focus on your behaviors, right? So if they're sedentary and they're not moving, okay, well, do you think we can take a walk, a walk for your lunch break today? Right, just a 15 minute one. So you'll still have 45 minutes to eat something. Does that sound like something you can do? Do you think that after work, because some people, this is an example, I've worked with a lot of women who are like this, they tend to overeat as soon as they get home from work, right? They'll go home, they'll go in the kitchen, they open the pantry, they're fucking snacking on some shit and they know they shouldn't be doing it, but they can't stop. Again, this is where people know what they need to know. It's bridging the gap from intention and action. It's all up here. And so you have to create space. Okay, well, before you get out of your car, do you think it would help to kind of leave work stress at work and then, you know, go home in a better mindset, better energy space, better headspace? Let's park the car, either do some box breathing or take a five-minute walk around the neighborhood. Do you think we can do that? Yeah, that might actually really help. And all of a sudden, they're not overeating because of work stress when they walk in the door. 
And so there's lots of different things. That's why it's hard for me to say, what can they do? Well, everybody's contextually very different. But if you look at your current lifestyle, that's where you have to start is being honest with yourself. You don't need to judge yourself. Judgment doesn't help. But if you look at it and you are objectively looking at, I'm only moving 2,000 steps a day and I'm eating 2,500 calories and 800 calories of those are coming from cal um, from drinks, right? Or I'm pouring oil on all of my stuff or I don't eat any protein. I'm only at 30 grams, right? You could, okay, well, how can I increase my protein this week? How can I add more water? How can I add more movement? How can I add more fruit? How can I add more fiber? How can I add stuff, right? Because again, we want to get them out of a restrictive headspace. Mm -hmm. It's not black and white, but we can gradually start to move down the spectrum towards a healthier you. And and speed is is negligible. There's millions of people who are going nowhere very quickly. So you have to let go of the idea of speed and understand that slow is steady and steady is fast. And if you can make slow and steady progressive steps towards something, inevitably you're going to get there. Or the fun part for a lot of people is they'll come in and they'll say, I want to get shredded. I want to compete. I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, I have a conversation because I have to walk people through that. I can't just take on a contest prep client. I can't do that without screening them, at least for me ethically. And then we move through the process and they start seeing weight loss because again, most of them have ambitions to compete, but they probably have 50 pounds to lose. So we need to go through a dieting phase and then a re-maintenance phase. And then we do a metabolic building phase and then we do another cut for contest prep, right? That's usually the cycle that goes. So at that point, they'll reach 30 pounds of weight loss, which would be about 20 pounds over contest prep shredded. And they're happy, they're healthy, they're flexible, they can socialize, they know how to eat out, they can travel, they feel great in their clothes, they feel great in a bathing suit, they like dressing up, they're not afraid to go on dates, they set boundaries better, they have better energy, better cognitive performance. They don't want to go to the extreme. They can change their mind. And that's a power that I hope every client has. Is like If you get on a groove with something and you love it, go for it. But if you think you want to achieve something and you get halfway there and you're like, I kind of like it here, this is enough for me, stay there. Focus on maintaining your weight loss. Again, most people can't do that. That's a huge win. So if I if I wrote this down correctly, the things you've mentioned were audit your food, write down the mm -hmm. list of the foods that you eat, make small incremental changes, don't overhaul everything, Correct. consider what you can add, what kind of foods can you add to your diet because you want to get out of that restrictive mindset, mm -hmm. find small movements that you could do throughout your day, whether that's a 15-minute walk during a lunch break or first thing before you come home, before you snack, go for a five-minute mm -hmm. walk around, and then reflect on your behaviors and what behaviors you can change. Yes, because if you want to know what somebody actually believes, their words won't tell you because we all lie to ourselves all the time. Mm -hmm. But your behaviors will tell you everything that you believe. And so if you want to understand why you do what you do, the first thing to do is watch yourself. Like you've got a cam in your house that's just observing you all day long. That's what I used to imagine. It's like I had a little spy cam in my apartment just watching me all day, every day. You'll learn a lot. So focusing on the things that you can add to the food that you eat, are there, let's say, three things that you would recommend that people add to their diet, to whatever they're eating? Yep. Protein, fiber, fruit. And that's anything. So um, just adding that, is there a specific amount? So as far as like protein targets, yeah, you ideally, right? Most people, if you look at the RDA, it's going to say like 0.7 per gram per 0.7 grams per pound. 
it's really, really low. I would say that's wild. It needs to be updated. That's like, we look at research and now people are studying protein intake and like how that affects body composition, mm -hmm. right? So right now, as far as like what's optimal, right? About a gram to 1.2 grams per pound of current body weight or a pound of target ideal body weight, right? You want to be getting enough protein. But if you're somebody who's not eating enough protein, then you can't jump from 50 grams to 150 grams. You're going to have a lot of digestive issues. So this is why I always say like, how much like specifically well where are you and then can you add 20 grams this week and see how you feel can you master planning your meals with 20 more grams of protein throughout the day then you can start to acclimate yourself to a higher intake over time but you don't want to flip that switch like i said you'll hate it you'll be so full because it's got a highly satiating effect so you don't want to jump in hot and heavy but you need to gradually get yourself better at that skill so learning to plan your meals with more protein overall until you can hit your protein targets easily. So that's what I would say specifically around protein. Obviously, fiber is really important for just overall colon health, gut health, right? We need fiber. I know that carnivore people will come for me, but if we look at fiber and its importance of overall health long-term, you don't want to have colon cancer or other gut issues because I think gut the gut will be a major focus in, the, in medicine over the next 50 years. Mm -hmm. You need to get enough fiber. All right, so 25 grams at least for women, 25 to 35 grams for men, usually 35 to 45, maybe even 50 grams per day. And then fruit, I don't ever want to get too specific about certain types of foods. If you like it, eat it, eat the rainbow, have lots of colors, change it up. Berries, if I was going to tell you that there's a magical superfood, I would say blueberries are really amazing, but I don't give a what type of fruit you eat. Just eat more fruit. Okay. So moving on to one of our final topics um, you said one of your proudest accomplishments was being a podcaster. So you have your podcast Elevate, which is E-L-E-V-8, the number yep. eight. So can you tell us when did you start? What is it about and where it's going next? Yeah. So I'll say this first. I was terrified to start a podcast. Terrified because it's long form. I say what I think. I don't script anything at all. Like whatever I'm thinking, I'm going to say. And I change my mind about things all the time. So I knew there was probably going to be things that I said that might piss people off. I might believe it at the time. I might change my mind later. I also have the freedom to do that. And so for me, it was actually being featured on another podcast first that I got a lot of feedback from that was really great. And people like the way that I think, they like the way that I talk. So I was like, okay, there's some interest here. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just sit down and record a video. And that was the hardest publication I think I've ever hit. Like just sitting there looking at it, like, do I publish it? Do I not publish it? Do I publish it? Do I not publish it? And I told myself, you just need to be brave for 20 seconds. Mm. And I took a deep breath and I hit publish. And so that was when Elevate was born. And so Elevate is really me in my passion for learning and growing and evolving and having people on the podcast that I think have helped me or I've learned from them, or I'll just share stuff that I've learned along the way. So it's a place, it's a, it's a environment for your own growth. That's what I care about because I'm learning all the time on that podcast with people that I talk to, Joshua Smith being one of them, who's already a licensed um, psychologist. So he and I have conversations because I want to learn from his perspective what he knows that I don't. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to have uh, an area where I can fuel my growth, challenge my perspective, expand my mind, elevate my mind so I can elevate my life. That's what that was built for. So selfishly, it's fun for me because I love conversations with people. I could talk to people all day, every day. I do that actually most of the time. But for other people to learn from that and to hear my perspective and go against people where I challenge their perspectives and they challenge mine, but it's all in a really respectful way, 
Like now everybody's learning. And so that's where that idea came from was, well, I don't want to box myself into just being a health and fitness podcast, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that I love psychology. I'm going to talk about psychology. I want to interview people who are in the field of psychology. So I can't do that. But overall, what is it? Well, I really love growing. I really love personal growth and allowing yourself to achieve things that you didn't think that you once could. And so consistently posting on Elevate was actually last year was the first full year of posting every single week repeatedly and consistently. So that is Elevate. That's where it came from. That's what it's about. And that's where it stemmed from. So what's next for Elevate? Is there a new topic that you're focusing on for this year or what what goals do you have for it for this year? So I want to continue to allow people to learn from me, from the things and experiences that I've gone through. I'll be doing a lot more solo episodes just based on the feedback from last year. Hmm. I didn't do a ton of them because I did a lot of collaborations at first, but people tend to really like my solo episodes. Um, So I will be doing more of those just to make sure that the audience is getting what they want and continuing to have people that inspire me on the podcast. So my mentor at the school that I'm at now. She's specializes in domestic violence and trauma. Um, She has some eating disorder clients as well. So she'll be coming on the podcast. I'm going to get a studio um, so that I can do some in person. So I'm going to do a lot more higher quality productions for the podcast. So that will be a change that's coming this year. And then just continuing to have incredible minds, incredible perspectives. I mean, I don't Again, there's no box on Elevate, which is what I love. I'm into culture. I, I love watching kind of things change throughout culture and society, talking about relationships. I love talking about relationships mostly because they're like the Achilles heel of my life, right? <laughs> so it's it's just allowing me to be curious about things. And if the topic is something that people are also curious about, then they'll tune in. Awesome. I just want to give that a shout out because I've been listening to it for a little while now and I love the, the episodes. And I remember one of the first ones, uh, I listened to as a solo and I was like, wow, you talked that like you, it was like set for like an hour or something. And like, it was just a, a continuous flow of the topic. And honestly, it was a great episode and it made me just want to keep going back for more. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. That's what I mean though. It's like, if you were to ask me what I thought about me talking about things on my own, I'd be like, that's awful. Like, why would I do that? I sound so stupid. Right. But when I did that, that was exactly the feedback that I got. I really love that episode. It was captivating the whole time, the way that you articulate it. I love it. Like, I love the way that you speak. I like the way that you talk. I really resonate to that. It's like, okay, well, there's something in the way that I think that people can connect with. So I need to just trust the feedback that I'm getting and take my own negative Nancy voice and like put that to the side and still keep doing the things that allow me to grow as an individual, but also contribute to something that I really, really care about. Great. So we're coming up on the end of the podcast. So I have three questions, which I ask all guests. And so these questions are based off of the topics of the podcast, which is live, love and grow. So the first question that I have for you is, what advice can you share about how to create a life that leaves a positive impact on the world? In order to live a life that leaves a positive, you have a fingerprint that nobody else does to leave an imprint on the world that nobody else can. The only way that you can do that is by giving yourself permission to actually just be you. Mm. That's what I would say. Short and to the point, love it. What are some practical ways people can cultivate self-love? Self-love is interesting because lots of people think of like woo-woo stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm great just the way that I am and everything will I want will manifest into my life and just show up 
one day at my door and I'm great as I am today. Like some of you aren't. And when it comes to self-love, it's holding yourself to a higher standard than anybody else does. Because right? if you know you're meant for more, but you choose to just let life drive you in a direction so that you have no say, that's not a form of self-love. Mm -hmm. It's also not a form of self-love to try to force yourself to do things that you don't actually want to do. And so it's being ruthlessly and compassionately honest with yourself and then striving for more because you're meant for more and you can do more than you currently are. That's what I would say around self-love. So the last question is, what is one actionable tip someone could do today to grow 1% better? Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Have the courage to do it. Just start. Ready is the lie. You're never going to feel ready. You're never going to have enough knowledge that makes you feel adequate enough or you're not an imposter. We're all imposters when we start. None of us know what we're doing. Okay. Some mm -hmm. of us have been seasoned imposters because we never know what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so whatever the smallest task is that you're willing to do regarding a step forward that you can take towards something that you want to experience or achieve or do, do that thing. You don't have to go write the whole book, but you can write the intro or one sentence and that's still progress. I love it. How can people connect with you? On every channel, I am Kate and Michelle, K-A-I-T. Um, and YouTube, same thing. I post more videos. So my goal this year, if you guys want to support me in this goal, is to grow my YouTube channel. Um, so I'll be doing videos on there as well as the podcast is posted there. And the podcast itself is called Elevate, as you laid out before. Um, so you guys can hit me up on Instagram. That's where I'm most active, YouTube, um, and then the podcast. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. You kind of already answered this last question that I had, but how can people support you on your journey? I love nothing more than connecting with people. So if you listen to this and you enjoyed it, I'd love to hear from you, what you took away, what you learned, how it helped you, if it did help you. I would love for you to support the podcast or take a listen. Let me earn your support, but take a listen to an episode. Give me your feedback on it. I'd love to hear what you think or what your takeaways are. And if you like video and audio stuff and you want to learn more about personality disorders and psychology, that's the majority of the content that I'll be putting on my YouTube is I need an outlet for those curiosities specifically. Um, so come on to my YouTube channel. I'll be talking a lot about narcissistic relationships and toxic dynamics and overcoming you know, a lot of trauma and issues around those types of things. So that's how you can support me if you feel so inclined. Awesome. I will make sure everybody has access to that in the show notes. And Kate, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today and sharing your insights and in your just your in in your journey and then all the things that you're learning. And I just want to acknowledge you and hope that you keep this up because you're doing great things right now. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate the conversation. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget to live, love, and grow to be the best version of you. Oh, and one more thing. If you or a young man that you know suffer from victim mindset or are not reaching their fullest potential, then visit mattfindora.com to see how we can work together to become the best version of ourselves. That's mattfindora.com. The link will be in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you and have an outstanding day.